0: Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to Bleeding Daylight, a place to hear from inspirational guests who are making a difference in our world. Head to bleedingdaylight.net for links to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Please share episodes with others and rate and review Bleeding Daylight wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's guest had a successful broadcast career that took him around the world, but his personal and professional life were in a spiral. His turnaround came from a simple practice that's available to everyone. I'll introduce you in a moment. Stephen Murphy suffered through a number of very dark years. His personal and professional life were in a spiral. After years of helping and serving others, he found that few people were ready to support him through the exhaustion and depression he was facing. These days, he's giving others the opportunity to share their own stories of struggle through The Nook Podcast. It's my honor to welcome him to Bleeding Daylight today. Stephen, thank you so much for your time.
1: Rodney, thank you so much for having me. I love your show.
0: The dark period that you faced began in around 2010, but help me understand what life was like for you before that darkness descended.
1: That's actually somewhat of an easy answer in that I've worked in the television entertainment live event business for many, many years and saw a very good amount of success. It wasn't until probably about... 2004 2005 that that started having a fairly bad tax on my family especially on my marriage in that in that business the better you are at what you do the more you're gone in that networks and other entities will hire you and they don't care where you live they will fly you to wherever they are and so I was just gone And my wife and I went through a very, very tough time near divorce, I would say. So we started to look at what could I do that would keep me home more often. And in 2005, I took my first job as a church video director. I was near home. I was home every week, all the time, and things were definitely looking better. But anybody who works in church business, especially I would say on the creative side, will tell you that the hours there can be long, the work itself can be a bit thankless. And I think while I entered into, to, into that world, wanting to use my gifts and talents for God's kingdom, it was a bit of a surprise to find out just how neglected you can feel In that arena where you would think that you're in church, that everything should just be wonderful, when it turned out to be more the opposite.
0: It must have been difficult giving up that life, working for networks, going to to lots of exciting events and having the opportunity to, to be there at very special moments in history. What are some of the big events that you had the opportunity to work on back then?
1: The primary work that I was in was in sports television. I worked all over the United States. Pick a sport, I shot it. Pick a network in the country, and I had worked for them. Things definitely culminated for me near the middle of 2004 when I did the Athens Olympics. I did all the basketball games in the Athens Olympics in 2004 and it was just an absolutely amazing experience. But interesting that all, that also coincided with what was going on at home that led me to the crossroad. But it was a fantastically rewarding life, met amazing people, got to see amazing places.
0: So while on one hand, you know, You absolutely know you've got to give up that lifestyle because your family is so important, but that must have been a a bit of a tug for you, knowing the excitement that that sort of thing brings to say, okay, I'm going to do something where I'm more at home and give up that lifestyle. Tell me about that, that tug of war within yourself. It was
1: definitely a tug of war, but it was also very quickly obvious to me that if I didn't, I, it was going to cost me my family. While I, I loved the the people that I worked with, I can definitely say that the divorce rate in that world is incredibly high. Not to justify it, but it makes sense because we are just gone working mostly in sports, you're gone evenings, weekends, and holidays when most people are at home to watch sports. So I missed a lot of holidays. My wife felt like a single parent in that she was having to attend the choir concerts and the swim meets and the other things that my daughters were doing because I just wasn't there. And it was becoming very quickly obvious to me that without some drastic changes in my work, it was going to definitely wreak havoc in my
0: family life. So tell me about that switch to working within a church because I imagine that would be very different. Previously, you were working with a whole host of broadcast professionals who kind of understood what you did. And now I imagine you're one of a handful of people that are involved in wanting to produce the best possible product for the church where you're working.
1: Yes, there was a learning curve to that. And I definitely had to wear a lot of hats, doing a lot of creation of various media things during the week, and then kind of switching over into the live production of the weekend itself is a very large church. So there was some definite excitement to that It was a very well resourced church. We had a lot of good tools at our disposal. But I can also say that in that of having to wear so many hats, that is what began that eventual spiral of just being so taxed. And for that matter, also very much like what you just said, Rodney, in that I came from a world where there was such high expectations always. So to come into a church where it's not that they didn't want really good things, it's just that we didn't have a lot of time to produce a lot of good things. We would often get an idea and have to have it completely finished by Wednesday or Thursday of that week. And that's just a whole lot of work to get done in a very short amount of time before I had to switch hats over and start actually getting those things ready to use in church services over the weekend.
0: A lot of us would have heard stories of pastors, for instance, working in churches who uh, really overwhelmed and finding life difficult and the struggles that they face but what you're talking about here is working within other ministries within a church and finding similar sorts of patterns of just having to work really hard yes and finding it difficult to find space for yourself
1: very much so and I think that there even along with that there is a there is an attached stigma of well, Yes, this is a lot of work and this is very demanding on me, but it's for it's for Jesus. It's for the church. I can say in looking back now how often that was my excuse if I was working a very long day and sometimes into the night of having to call home and say, I'm sorry, I'm just very tied up in a project right now. Definitely bringing back some of those frustrations for my wife that even though I was only five or six miles away from home, I still wasn't at home
0: because the demands were just always there. So in the end, this move to a place closer to home, working in ministry and and all the ideas that you had around that didn't quite work out to be what you had in mind initially.
1: Um, Well, yes and no. I mean, it it definitely solved one problem in that I wasn't... I wasn't in another state or across the country, so I was close to home, but the demands were just always on the increase, and uh, the only offset being that at least when my family came to church, I could see them then, that there were just little moments like that that I had to try to be happy for, uh, be thankful for, because those were some of the few times that I was able to reconnect with my
0: family, but it always had to be now under this umbrella of church. When did you start to notice that there was something more going on, there was more difficulties happening within yourself than just the stresses of working a demanding job?
1: I was working full-time in churches for the better part of seven or eight years, and it was probably at about the five to six-year mark when I was at a different church, but finding some of those same results. In that, I guess it was, it was me realizing that it probably wasn't going to matter what church I was working for. Those demands were probably going to be the same. I feel like I should pause if only to acknowledge that I don't ever want this to sound like some uh, terrible indictment of the church. I think the church is doing what it can to keep up culturally and try to put out high-quality media and have a, a regular church service just look like things are going well. It's just very hard on the people who are behind the scenes trying to make all that happen. I was definitely deep, deep in
0: that at that point. What were the first indicators for you that something was just not right?
1: Actually, that came in that the office that I worked in, that I was sharing with seven or eight co-workers, one of the associate pastors on the church staff had to walk through our area to get to his office, and he would always jokingly say as he walked through, "Hey, it's the people who actually have to do stuff," and of course we would laugh and tell him that, that he was hilarious, and and there was just one day that it struck a chord with me and made me realize, and, and and I shouldn't, again, make it sound like we were the only people on the church staff doing things, but we were certainly never sitting around twiddling our thumbs wondering if we were going to have work to do. We were never not busy. It occurred to me at that time that there was always somebody asking me what I was doing, and rarely anybody asking me how I was doing. Well, I'll be quick to to point out that I know that as a believer in Jesus, that there is a certain responsibility that falls on me to seek God, to read His Word, to have a life that is still very dedicated to Him regardless of what function I'm performing. But I will also say that I'm just like anybody else and that I need leadership. I need a pastor, somebody who is shepherding me. It seemed to be more and more obvious to me that there wasn't a whole lot of that happening.
0: Did you feel that you were involved in ministering to others through your video work, and yet there wasn't anyone that was ministering back to you, that every time you were at church it wasn't there to to worship, it wasn't there to to hear the word expounded, but it was actually – it was always work?
1: Yes. That's probably the best way to put it. And I would talk to people – I was actually seeing a counselor who who was very, very helpful, I was glad for his voice in my life because he was one of those folks who would reassure me and remind me, "Hey, the work that you are doing is having an impact. There are people who maybe are sitting in a service and watch the story that we have produced that tells an amazing angle on someone's life change and how all the people watching that are then inspired." And that's that is absolutely wonderful in it and I I know now that I can't uh, degrade what that very well might have meant to a lot of people. But there was just also that separation that I was always in another room adjacent to the church. And even hearkening back to my my life in sports television, there was one spring that I had actually flown back to the city where I was doing all of my sports TV work and actually was able to pick up a couple of jobs with my old mates. And in less than an hour of being on site, I was able to actually do what I would just consider real ministry, talking to a gentleman who I had known for years, worked with for a long time, and he had been through a very difficult divorce. And he was having a, a hard time figuring out how to find the new rhythm with his daughter in this dual non-marriage parenting kind of thing and just was able to share with him. And the man was in tears. He hugged me. And it was a moment like that where I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that was real ministry to me that going to the old city where I used to live and, and just being able to connect with a real human person to person that I felt like I did more ministry in that one day than I had done for years in church work.
0: Was there ever a time where there was a crisis of faith, where you're producing material to show people how good God is and what a great life it is to be living in Christ, and yet you weren't experiencing it at that same time? Oh,
1: oh somebody tipped you off, Rodney. That is so much where I eventually ended up. And and I think a lot of that came down to in that I was so living in a bubble where that's just the constant diet to where pick your favorite food. If you ate that every day, you would get very sick of that food and not want to eat it anymore. And just constantly around the conversation where everything is awesome and and everything is always on the up. It just got to where I, I rarely saw the contrast. And so it was almost like, well, I have to live in this world where we have to maintain this hype that everything is just wonderful. It's always wonderful. And all the stories end with a big bright bow and that person's life is forever changed. But it started to just feel almost more like propaganda to me while we would tell a story where someone was once was blind and now they could see. And that's again, that's wonderful but we never wanted to get into a story that that maybe wasn't done yet. I actually would lobby for those kind of things. Why not talk to somebody who is in the middle of something? Because I think we're all in the middle of something. And while we love to hear stories of, of God's triumph, we'll always be inspired by that. I think what we can all relate to is that place in the middle. We're always either in a problem, just coming out of a problem, or maybe heading into a problem. And it's okay to talk about that, because that's where we need Jesus the most.
0: There's a realness in Scripture that we so often don't see in some churches. When we go through, for instance, looking at the Psalms, where the writers to the Psalms are saying, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. Everything is Mm. awful. I'm in a pit. Uh, and then we, we do see that result at the end of it so often, but I will trust in you. Yes. Do you think we've lost the ability to sit in that in-between in what we see in places like the Psalms and, of course, as you say, in real life?
1: Yes. And to me, I honestly think that that's a place that we're missing That where discipleship comes in. And that discipleship, there is part of that word is discipline. And I don't think that that's a word that we're ever going to be comfortable with. But I would also say that we're not supposed to be. I mean, the the scriptures say God disciplines who he loves. Well, take it as a sign that God loves you, that you're being disciplined. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's not going to see a verse (laughs) embroidered on a pillow like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's almost like we try to shy away from that side of things. Even though of all the things Jesus promised, that's the one that we don't like to talk about much. I'm not just trying to say the glass is half empty and we need to be more sorrowful. I just think we do the world a, a terrible disservice, a watching world a terrible disservice when we portray our faith as being polished and perfect. No, I'm a mess. I've been in therapy for many years now, and I honestly think that we're all a mess, but we have hope in Jesus. And if you give me a choice between going through my mess with him or without him, I will take him every single time.
0: And of course, to this point, we've talked about the issues that you're facing, the darkness, and then eventually you were diagnosed with depression, and you're Mm -hmm. still trying to find help through all of this. Let's look on the brighter side let's look at what has brought you to where you are now. As you say, you're still going through mess. We're all going through mess. Mm. What has it been that has helped you to face that mess? There's a,
1: a short list and, and one is my amazing wife. She has been so supportive through all of this and could probably see it long before I did. It was, it was her push initially that said, will you please get checked. She was the one who was an encouragement to make sure that I stayed in counseling and even the follow-up to actually get my medical doctor involved. So through then a good counselor and an amazing medical doctor who all seemed to be working together to make up what I would even call my team now, those people encouraging me to get Better, especially my wife and my counselor, to do something so simple as just making regular time for reading scripture. And I feel nearly embarrassed to admit that, in that I am literally just weeks away now from turning 56 years old, and I would have considered myself a Christian since I was about 18, and yet. Just these last few years, I have found that richness in scripture that I've heard people talk about and thought I knew what it was, but I'm suddenly like that reborn kid wondering, do people know about this? The scriptures are so amazing and it's gotten to where my time with God for 20, 30 minutes in the morning with coffee and my Bible is the most amazing time of any given day to the point now or after a few years of making that my routine that when I can't do it because of travel or some other work commitment, I miss it. I miss it like crazy. That's my new goal. My new platform, if you will, is to talk about how we've all been through messes and to encourage people that they're is life in Jesus. And the only way to know exactly who he is, is to get in that Bible and to seek God and ask God and wrestle with the word when you have to uh, seek good counsel, everything coming from that word-based mentality that there is life on the other side of it.
0: We hear about pastors who so often spend a lot of time in the word, But every time they open the scriptures, it's to be able to prepare a message, to be able to prepare something for their congregation. I imagine in the same way that every time you open the scriptures or or talked about Christ, it would come back to, how would this look in video? Yes. How do you switch to saying, no, this is about my time with Jesus. This is not about pitching a story idea.
1: That was probably the the single biggest pivot to that. Actually, Rodney, you you keep are you really did somebody send you these questions? <laughs> uh, that was what felt so clunky to me. Initially, because like you just said, if if I was going to read Colossians, it was because the pastor had come to me and said, I want to do a four week series on Colossians. What are the visuals that we can pull out? So I was very much, yes, I was reading the scriptures, but I'm looking for object lessons and I'm looking for pieces that, oh, we could probably tie some kind of a story to that, that section in chapter two right there. So you're right. It was always tied to something that was going to be be a task. And these more recent years where it was like scales falling off my eyes and and God saying, this is just you and me now. That's it. You don't have to have any assignment after this. Just spend time with me. Learn about me. That's, That's your job in this, to believe in the one whom God sent. And it took some months, but it, like I said, has just become the absolute richest part of my day.
0: I want to talk about the Nook podcast in a little while, but before we go there, I want you to explain what the Nook is about. What is the actual Nook for you?
1: The nook goes right back to that story in that I've got a basement in my home. And I in making up my mind that I was going to figure out this as a rhythm and having a specific place to meet with God. And I took two old desks and stuck them in a corner of my basement. And I just I called it the nook. That started with just me. And I would tell my wife, hey, I'm gonna be down in the nook for about an hour. And she would know what that meant. She knew that that was going to be me alone, in my quiet, downstairs with Jesus. The more that I was there, and the more that that richness was coming out of it, these ideas of what could this mean, my video brain kicked back in. Uh, That was actually back at the beginning of the pandemic. I put out one video that was just an encouragement when it seemed like everything was shutting down and everyone was going to be stuck at home for a while. And I put out one video to just encourage people how to stay positive, how to uh, try to not get get stuck in the darkness of the way everything felt. And I was amazed at the feedback that I got on that one video and I made a, it ended up being a series of videos and then a second series of videos. And then it was after the second series, pardon me for the long answer, where a friend of mine said, what if you had a podcast to talk about what was in those episodes? And I thought, wow, that's something I had never considered. And even though the thing looks a little bit different than what the initial idea was like, Everything that it has become now still is based out of this longer version of my story. And the nook is, we, everybody needs a nook. thats <laughs> I'll pound on a table to say that you need a place where you can meet with God on a regular basis. And that can be your kitchen table. It could be a chair in a coffee house. But make an appointment with you and Jesus and get there as often as you can. That's, that's the essence of the nook.
0: If people don't have that sort of space, as you mentioned, they can use any sort of space, but if they're living in a chaotic home, if there's family, there's everyone around and they can't find that quiet space, what are your suggestions for finding their own version of a nook? That's
1: where I think that that discipline comes in play. One of the things for me was that I just started getting up 30 minutes earlier, just so that I knew that I could have time in that space, where I was going to be uninterrupted. And I believe that when somebody makes the commitment, that that's one of those things that you have to be willing to do to say, God, your relationship with me is that important that I'll make changes. I will work my schedule around this because this is going to be a big priority. So if that means for a mom or a dad to get up a little bit earlier before the kids are up, or maybe maybe that means you stay up a little bit later. I mean, there's you have time. It's just what are you going to use that time for? I I have a friend who who goes out and sits outside for lunch as often as she can to have her time with God. It doesn't have to be the same place every time. But I I just think that it's that dedication to saying, I'm going to do what I can to, to guard this time that I can be alone with God.
0: It could be some people who are perceiving this as the message that we've heard in church year after year after year of read your Bible more, pray more, and it turns into this works kind of thing that you've got to do this, and it takes it away from this relationship of grace. How do we bridge Mm. that gap, knowing that, of course, we do need to take action? We do need to do these things, but how do we bridge that gap to where we're actually meeting with God, not performing a duty each day?
1: That's the question of the ages, Rodney, and I hope that the the further I'm down this road that I have an even better answer. But you're absolutely right. And I, I that's a something that's come up for me many times in just the last three, four years of No, this isn't a whole lot different than that That prescription. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Well, I think we've just heard it so often that we have discounted what it actually means. I can definitely say that for myself. I think we all think we're doing it. I've also been very, very surprised for people who, like myself, were longtime church people, longtime people that would call themselves a follower of Christ. And yet you ask them, how often are you actually going to that book? How often are you actually just quiet? with Jesus, whether that's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever that looks like. I'm never going to be so legalistic with it to say that unless you do 30 minutes or unless uh, you, you read 10 chapters in a day, I think you can get stuck on one verse and read it over and over and over and keep drawing from the richness in it. It's a matter of, are you actually doing it? Because I can admit full well right now that I wasn't. And now that I am, it's actually not a whole lot different than what new diet program is everybody trying to follow now? Well, the bottom line with that, eat less, exercise more. It's probably still going to come back to that regardless of who authored the book or who put out the video with the new program. It's still very likely going to come down to eat less, exercise more. Well, how about we pray more. How about we are talking less? We're listening for God. It's the same kind of idea, but I feel like it's almost to the extent that it's, is it, could it possibly be that simple? It actually is. But I also think that that's where it's going to get all the more complex because I just, I feel like God has, has just blown up my heart in the last few years. And I've changed more in that time than any other span
0: in my life throughout the history of Hollywood, we see that we love to see movies where everything starts out okay, there's conflict, then everything is resolved with a beautiful Mm -hmm. bow, as you said before. We've seen that through some sort of of church presentations. We we follow that same pattern. And you're saying that, no, we're always going through some kind of messy. There's no Mm -hmm. big bow at the end of it necessarily. But even amongst that messiness, What are some of the greatest revelations that God has brought to you during this time of of being in the nook?
1: Some of those things can be so simple, and I can absolutely attribute the changes in what God has done in me. Just like I mentioned in my sports career, I continue to do work in, in video and television production, and it's always meant some degree of travel. So when I'm in travel mode, it's very predictable, even as as things can get off track timing-wise with airlines and things like that. But when I'm at the airport, I'm dialed in. I've got earbuds in. I'm trying to kill time on my phone, and I'm usually grumpy. Just something simple as traveling last week— I ended up sitting next to one of what I think any common travelers would say is their worst nightmare, lady with a baby. And she sat down next to me and she immediately looked at me and apologized. And she said, I'm sorry if he's loud and I'm sorry if he touches you. And she was so nervous and so uptight. And I said, are are you doing okay? And she said, it's my first time flying. I said, it's your first time flying and you have a baby? And she said, yes. And that just set the tone for me. And then her child slept through the entire flight, and she was so nervous when we got to our next destination. I saw that she had two different bags, she has her child, she has lots to take care of, and I said, how's this? We're gonna let everybody off, and then I'm gonna help you get out of here to where it's not such a struggle for you. And she turned and looked at me and she said, thank you. She was she was so surprised that somebody would offer that kind of assistance. So I did that and I held her little boy while she got all of her things and she she left the plane and then we got out to the jetway and she was struggling getting her stroller set up and I said, let me take him again. I walked away from that moment literally saying, who, who was that? And I called my wife and I said, you're not going to believe what I just did. Because she calls it travel, Stephen. She knows how I am in those days. And it's frantic and it's tiresome. And it's so many different things to the point where I'm much more of a grouch than I am personable with people. But that simple exchange with that young lady, I have to believe meant something to her, that I extended a kindness to her that I would not have been able to do in and of myself even as recently as five or six years ago. And that's God. And is that simple? Yes. Are there plenty of other people who would have been nice to that lady? Yes. I was not one of them. And yet there I was finding such immeasurable joy in helping a young lady on an airplane with with a baby. And it's just God. I can take absolutely no credit for that whatsoever. That's the kind of thing I see happening in me to the point where I have to just step back and praise him for who he is and the work that he has that he said to me you're not done i'm not done with you and i'm elated to to see what else he is going to do in me
0: there's a distilling of the 10 commandments when jesus is asked the greatest commandment and he says throw everything you have at loving god so your your yes. heart your mind your strength and then love your neighbor as you love yourself and so you're actually seeing this lived out. And I imagine it kind of, as you say, crept up on you, but it's actually the the infilling of of God through the Spirit is actually changing who you are, isn't it?
1: It's one of those times when you realize there's such a vast difference between happiness and joy. We can find happiness in ice cream. We can find happiness in very simple things, and, and those are wonderful, but joy supersedes all of that. And I had such great joy in serving this young woman. I'm thinking the next time I travel, I'm going to keep my eyes open. I'm going to get out of my phone. I am going to to try to have an awareness about me of, God, why do you have me in this airport for two hours on this day at this time? Is there an assignment here for me? Because I am here for it. Let's do something. And... That may sound like churchy hype. I can tell you from the depths of me, it is not. It is something that is still happening in me. It's still changing in me, but I am all the more optimistic about what happens from here forward.
0: And I'm acutely aware that you've always been someone who has served and helped, but it's been a task that you've been given as part of your work and there's a heart change now you're still helping people but you're helping from a very different place aren't you
1: yes and and that's probably one of the greatest rewards in it is that i'm doing this for for no one to see my work isn't isn't going up on some screen somewhere for people to watch it's between me and my god and i i have to believe that he is smiling in approval when something like that exchange that i just talked about happens I don't know if anybody on, the, on that airplane realized what was, was happening and it doesn't matter to me. I wasn't doing it for their approval. And I think that that part of it is so much more exciting,
0: so much more rewarding. Your friends suggested, hey, you need to start a podcast and you did. Tell me about the Nook podcast.
1: The Nook podcast, I think it really comes down more to the tagline because I feel like the the Nook part of it requires a little bit of explanation, but the tagline is real faith in real time. And my explanation there is that real faith is messy and it rarely runs in one straight line. I'm definitely evidence of that, that just when you think it's going to go straight, something happens and it quickly veers to the left or to the right. Are you ready for that? I think that's when faith really kicks in when things are adverse. When it's easy, faith is easy. I don't th- I, I would say that it's not faith when it's easy. Anybody can fall down a hill. (laughs) It's when you've got to climb, when you're in the middle of a struggle, or when somebody that you love is in a struggle, then faith comes into play. And then it's real time, and that there's no magic pill to fast forward yourself through a struggle. You're going to have to walk through it. And in the Psalms, you mentioned the Psalms though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, it says it, you're still going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's the real time of it. So I want to continue to tell stories with people. I'm primarily the host of this story hour, if you will, and talking to people that have been through struggles and have held on to their faith and at times rediscovered their faith so that that messaging is always there of my life is not perfect Everything that I have been through makes me who I am today, the good, the bad and the in between, and I'm nothing without Jesus. The show will always in the end glorify Jesus, but I'm I'm optimistic that listeners either longtime folks of faith or maybe somebody who's still checking out the claims of Jesus can listen to it with a wow. I thought I was the only one who felt like that. Or, wow, I I thought that was the only one who ever dealt with something like that. And so there's a relatability and there's always a point
0: to Jesus. Stephen, if people are wanting to get in touch with you or to listen to the podcast, where's the easiest place for them to find you?
1: Well, on the socials, I am Murphy24P, Twitter and Instagram, and The Nook is on all of the major podcast platforms. Just search The Nook Podcast, and when you see the the blue box with with the cross in the middle of it, you know you found the right one.
0: I will put links to get to the podcast and to find you on your socials in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find you easily. I know a number of people will want to get there. But Stephen, it has been a a real delight to talk to you, to hear some of your story and to hear the journey that you're still on, but going in a better direction. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rodney.
0: Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.